1: According to the website at EdgarCasey.org, Edgar Casey was the most documented psychic of the 20th century, that's spelled E-D-G-A-R-C-A-Y-C-E, that concentrated mainly on a wide range of topics, including healing, philosophy and reincarnation, ancient mysteries and civilizations, dreams and dream interpretation, ESP and psychic phenomena, and spiritual growth, meditation, and prayer. With these readings, Casey also answered, or tried to answer, every mystery of life that we have ever pondered, questions and answers which are subjects of countless books and studies ranging from ancient civilizations to reincarnation to dream interpretation, which is our subject today. I have always been fascinated with dreams, what they might mean, and dreams that bring messages and even warnings, all of which Edgar Casey has contributed to greatly through the readings he has given us. So many readings, in fact. That it requires a huge library and research center to store them all and we're there for the next few days at the association for research and enlightenment in virginia beach virginia to speak with authors researchers and experts on these subjects if you've ever wondered what those dreams are all about edgar casey gave us some incredible insight as to where they come from and what they mean we're with kevin tedeschi today at the edgar casey center Correctly known as the Association for Research Enlightenment or ARE in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Kevin J. Tadeshi is Executive Director and CEO of Edgar Casey's ARE and Atlantic University, responsible for managing the day to day operations of the Edgar Casey Organizations. As both student and teacher of the Casey Material for thirty five years, he has lectured on five continents in front of thousands of individuals. He envisioned the Casey organization's multi-million dollar renovation and construction projects, which have added 11,000 square feet to the International Headquarters Campus in Virginia Beach and renovated the organization's facilities. A prolific writer, is the author of more than 25 books, and he is a nationally recognized resource on the interpretation of dreams. Tedeschi has taught thousands of students the art of dream interpretation. The author of The Best Dream Book Ever and Dream Images and Symbols, He also authored A.R.E.'s Dream Interpretation app for both iPhone and Android. Known for his ability to explain complex subjects in a straightforward and easy-to-understand manner, Tedeschi is popular for both his insight and his sense of humor. One focus of his work has been to assist individuals in seeing how they are very much responsible for creating a better world. Kevin, it's great to be with you here today and for the next few days as we introduce our fans worldwide to you, and to the man who is recognized as one of the most prolific psychics of the 20th century, Edgar Casey.
0: Thanks, John, for allowing us to share the story of Edgar Casey, the readings, and his legacy with your listeners at 1001 Heroes Podcast. Kevin, in our first
1: Edgar Casey Interviews episode, Ancient Civilizations and Mysteries, Don Carroll told us a little about Edgar Casey's background, but we purposely saved some of the larger questions for you. What our listeners would like to know is what kind of man was Edgar Casey? When did he first find out he was a psychic? And what was the process by which he gave over 14,500 readings during his life?
0: Well, Edgar Casey was born on a farm in Hopkinsville, Kentucky in 1877. Uh, he passed away in Virginia Beach, Virginia in 1945. And for 43 years of his adult life, uh, he was able to give readings. Essentially, he would lay down, down on a couch, close his eyes, uh, fold his hands, and he'd put himself into a sleep state, and in that sleep state, somehow he was able to tune in to anyone anywhere in the world. His wife would give him the address, location of a person, and while asleep, he would tune into that person, describe what was wrong with them, how they could get well, and very often he would even recommend doctors that he had no conscious knowledge of. Uh, his secretary, Gladys, would be sitting by, writing down everything that he said, and, and over the course of the forty-three years, he actually gave fourteen thousand readings on approximately 10,000 different topics. Now, obviously, he didn't grow up and said, okay, I'm going to be a psychic. What happened was he he was a very normal young man with one exception. His parents thought he had an overactive imagination because he claimed that he could see and speak to his grandfather, uh, who was deceased. Of course, uh, they just thought that was his imagination, but time passed, and eventually, when he was a young man... He fell asleep on one of his school books, and uh, when he fell asleep and then woke up, he had retained a photographic content of the entire book's contents. In fact, his father could call out a page, and Edgar Casey could describe every word on that page, read it verbatim, even without looking at the page. Now, that's great for things like spelling and history, perhaps. It won't help you do a math problem, but somehow he was able to sleep on things and memorize uh, their content. All at once, his parents had something that was no longer the sign of an overactive imagination. Well, time went on, and he pretty much had a normal childhood. Uh, He was a very humble individual. He uh, loved his church. He loved teaching Sunday school. Eventually, he fell in love, decided to get married. His job at the time was as a uh, traveling salesperson, uh, selling insurance and greeting cards. And one day, he actually ended up with a... uh, tremendous headache. He took a sedative for that headache. And when he woke up the next day, he had laryngitis. Well, no one worries if they have laryngitis. I mean, it eventually goes away. But the days clicked by and turns into weeks. And the weeks turned into months. And pretty soon, if you're a salesman with laryngitis, uh, you're out of a job. So he had to get another line of work because doctors had been unable to help him with the problem. And he became a photographer. He figured he wouldn't have to speak so often, uh, taking pictures of people. And eventually, he became uh, predisposed to the idea that, you know, I'll never be able to speak normally again. Well, time passed, and he's there in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and eventually a traveling hypnosis stage show came to town. And he went to the show, and apparently some of his friends volunteered him for the stage show. He got up and volunteered to put himself to sleep like he used to when he fell asleep on his school books. And while asleep there on the stage, he spoke normally and they figured they have something here he's able to speak normally well under hypnosis he can't speak normally when awake so that hypnotist left town and another hypnotist was nearby they put him to sleep again and while asleep uh, they asked him what was wrong with him and asked him how he might get well Logger casey gave a reading said it was a psychological problem producing a physical effect could be removed by suggestion and they gave the suggestion, and he woke up, and he was able to speak normally for the first time in almost a year. Now, Edgar Casey was grateful he was ready to go on about his life. Well, there had been a doctor standing by, Dr. Ketchum, and he had other ideas. And he wondered, you know, if Edgar Casey could do this for himself, what if he could do this for other people? So Dr. Ketchum began using Edgar Casey for some of his most difficult clients, things he didn't know how to help people with. And over and over and over again, Casey's diagnosis and his regimen of treatment seemed to work. So Ketchum wrote a paper for the Boston Medical Society in 1910. It was picked up by the New York Times, a full-page spread about the illiterate man who becomes a doctor when hypnotized. Well, he wasn't illiterate, but that made for a better headline. In fact, he had gone through the 8th grade and then had to drop out. But all at once, uh, people started hearing about Edgar Casey. Literally hundreds of newspaper articles started appearing about Mr. Casey and his ability to put himself to sleep. Uh, everything that you can imagine that people had health problems with, he was able to help individuals with. And over the four three years, he gave approximately 9,000 readings dealing with health. Eventually, uh, in 1943, there was a... Uh, a magazine called the Coronet magazine that published an article called The Miracle Man of Virginia Beach. And that article, plus his biography, which was called There is a River, brought such fame to him that he was giving uh, many more readings a day than he was supposed to. He originally said he should give one reading in the morning, one in the afternoon. The request for readings became so so many that the mailman was delivering bags and bags of mail every day to their Hopkinsville home. Eventually, he told his secretary to book ahead because he felt uh, worried about these people. He said he could walk by the bags of mail and he felt their pain, so he wanted to help them if he could. So he started giving eight readings a day. Eventually, he had a stroke. Uh, and when he finally died in January of 1945, they were booked eight readings a day, two years in advance. How did people first decide to ask Edgar Casey about their dreams? Well, for many years, the uh, focus of the readings was, of course, health. People had health problems that they couldn't get help with elsewhere, and Edgar Casey was often seen as the last resort. But in 1923, an individual asked uh, for a horoscope reading. He wanted to see how his uh, a- astrology a- affected his life. And during that reading, Casey gave the uh, interesting statement that many of the same things that were occurring in this individual's life had occurred at a similar pattern in the past, when this individual had once been a monk. Uh, And that reading opened up the entire door of other topics, such as reincarnation. And from then on, people ask all types of questions. There could be things such as business advice, child rearing, ancient mysteries, personal spirituality, psychic development, how to improve your relationships, and dream interpretation. And really, the uh, individual who was most interested in dream interpretation was Morton Blumenthal. Uh, Morton Blumenthal was a young Jewish stockbroker. He's the individual who built, built the Edgar Casey Hospital in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, Edgar Casey had had a dream where not a, a literal dream, but a dream in his life where he wanted to have a hospital where people could come and have readings, and that he would give a reading and describe what was wrong with him, and a regular staff of doctors, nurses, therapists would carry out the treatment. And over and over again, the readings recommended Virginia Beach, Virginia as the place for that hospital. Uh, at the time, Virginia Beach was a very small fishing village. It had approximately 300 year-round uh, residents. Casey said that eventually Virginia Beach would become a year-round resort and that Norfolk would become one of the largest seaports on the East Coast. Uh, at the time, this was science fiction. Today, that's fact. Virginia Beach is actually the largest city in the state of Virginia with almost half a million people. Anyway, so one of the uh, questions that Morton found that he really was interested in was in this topic of dream interpretation. Now, one of the funniest dream interpretation readings is is one of Morton's. Uh, Morton had this dream where he was in New York Uh, there was a knock on his door His maid went to answer the door and opened the door and there was a very distinguished looking elderly gentleman with a white beard and a briefcase uh, Looked very wealthy and the maid announced that God had come to New York for a visit Morton got very excited. He saw God standing there like a professional businessman He ran to the door gave God a hug thanked him for coming to New York and uh, suggested that he give God a tour around the apartment and as he's giving the tour, all at once, Morton realizes that in the living room, he's left his liquor cabinet open. And he thinks to himself, you know, maybe I should avoid the living room. And then he thinks, well, no, God knows everything, so I'll just show him. So he walks into the living room, points out the liquor cabinet, and says, uh, this is in case of sickness. And God says, you are very well prepared. And that was the end of the dream. Well, Morton Blumenthal fired off that dream to Virginia Beach and asked Edgar Casey, what's that all about? And Mr. Casey, asleep on the couch, said it really has two two meanings. One, that the divine will come to each and every one of us in the way that we can best accept the divine. So in Morton's case, it was a distinguished Jewish businessman. And the second uh, meaning was that the divine will accept each and every one of us in spite of our frailties. Uh, And over the years, people, housewives, students, business professionals, individuals from all walks of life got dream interpretation readings, and Casey uh, helped people really work with their dreams. It was the first individual outside of therapy uh, to find meaning in dreams. Casey said that dreams really give us insight into every area of our life, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Can you give us an example of physical, mental, or
1: spiritual dreams, how they differ?
0: Uh, Edgar Casey suggested that uh, dreams contrast and correlate the events of the day. So very often we can get insights into what's going on in our life in the dream state. Uh, as unusual as that may sound to people, Casey suggests that nothing of significance ever happens to us without it first being foreshadowed in a dream. Our challenge here in the United States, of course, is that most of us are not predisposed to work with our dreams. It's not something we're brought up with. It's not something we're talked about how important it can be. Uh, But the truth of the matter is science has proven that we all dream. In fact, we all dream an average of 90 minutes a night. It's not that we go to sleep for a long time, dream for 90 minutes, and then go to sleep some more. Instead, we have uh, a number of dream cycles, probably five or six, depending on the individual. And each of those cycles is about 15 minutes long. And during that process, uh, the mind deals with all kinds of information that has come to it during the day. Uh, even if we don't work with our dreams, dreams can be a helpful experience. For example, I'm sure most of your listeners have had the experience where they go to sleep tense or frustrated or upset, uh, and then they go to sleep and wake up, and the next morning they feel fine. And what has happened is the mind has made sense of whatever issue you've been dealing with, and Casey would say that we can even get more information, more help, by working specifically with our dreams. So let me give you a couple of examples. In terms of physical dreams, Edgar Casey had a... Uh, very severe cough and cold and he had been to the doctor uh, several times and had not found any relief and of course he couldn't give readings when he was sick and that was his source of revenue, source of income for the family so he started to worry and one night he had a dream and in the dream he saw himself go into his kitchen and he mixed a bunch of ingredients uh, including syrup of whorehound, some whiskey, some uh, uh, tincture of benzoin, various things that went into this concoction. And in fact, what he was actually doing was he made a modern-day cough and cold syrup, and in the dream, he took it, and when he woke up, he went to the kitchen and po- pulled all those ingredients together and he, after he'd gone to the pharmacy, and he had relief for the very first time. That is an example of a very exact physical dream. Uh, A more humorous one was a woman had a dream where her mother appeared to her, her mother was still alive, but in the dream she appeared to her and said, if your husband wants you to go to the osteopath, you should go. So she woke up and sent that dream to Edgar Casey and said, what's that dream all about? And Edgar Casey told her, you need to see an osteopath. So sometimes it's not rocket science. I used to dre- teach a dream interpretation to every student that goes through our Casey Riley School of Massage. We have a massage school here, accredited massage school, offers a 700-hour program. Uh, and the reason the students are taught dream interpretation is because when you work with people, work on them with massage, very often they see symbols and images that come to mind. And it's helpful to know how to interpret them. So one of the students had this dream where she opened the fridge door and every single shelf was filled with orange juice. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that this person needed more vitamin C in their diet. That's an example of a physical dream. A mental dream uh, often deals with our psychological issues or our psychological uh, problems that we're worried about dealing with. Uh, On one occasion, uh, there was a husband and wife who had been married uh, just a year and a half previously, and they were arguing all the time. And the husband had had this dream where he was on a train, and he was sitting on the aisle seat, and his wife was sitting on the window seat. And as he's sitting there and the train's going by, he looks out the window and he sees all the ground that they're covering, all the distance they're going, all the cities they're going through. And then he looks over at his wife, and he notices that she has a croquet mallet in her hand, and she's holding it up against the window one way, and then another way, and another, and she keeps moving it around. And finally he yells at her and says, You can't measure it that way. And that was the end of the dream. And Casey gave a reading on the dream and said that this dream illustrated why they were having problems in their marriage. That the husband was trying to measure their happiness by their success. How much money they were making, how much ground they were covering, how many things they were doing in terms of business opportunities. Whereas his wife was trying to measure success by how much fun they were having. And what they really needed to do was sit down and come up with an ideal in terms of what are we trying to do together? What is it we're in this relationship for? What is the one thing we can always agree on? So that's an example of a, of a mental, psychological dream. In terms of spiritual dreams, Casey said that very often this is where visions occur. We can have a, a spiritual experience. We can see a being of light, an angel, a Christ, a Buddha, an Abraham, a uh, Muhammad, whatever it might be, and that we can get real, true spiritual information. This is also the level where uh, psychic dreams occur where we can pick up on something before it happens. Casey suggests that nothing of significance ever happens to us without it first being foreshadowed in a dream. Uh, In my own life, I had this experience where my wife and I built a house out in the country about 25 years ago. And uh, it was on a three and a half acre lot. And I had taken a piece of paper and drawn a straight line through every corner. And where those lines intersect, that's where the house was supposed to be, right in the center of this lot was in a regular-shaped lot, but the line still showed where the house would be. This is before cell phones or uh, email or anything like that. And the builder called me at my office one day and said, Okay, the, the surveyors have been out there. They've staked out where the house is going to go. Tomorrow morning, the concrete trucks are going to go, and they're going to lay the base of the foundation so they can start laying the cinder block. So I said, Okay, great. I'll go look at it after the cinder block is done. That night I had a dream. And in the dream, my wife and I are staying out front of the house. It looks just like we imagined it. I walk into the front door. It looks beautiful. And as we're standing there in the entryway, all at once I hear this chewing sound, like a heavy chewing sound, chewing, chewing, chewing. And I thought, what is that sound? And I walked to the back of the house where the kitchen is, and I looked out the back window, and in the dream, the neighbors behind us had some horses, and the horses had their head over the fence, and they were eating off of our back porch. And that was the end of the dream. And I woke up and I thought to myself, if I have three and a half acres and the neighbor's horse is sitting its head over the fence and eating off my porch, the house is too far back to the property line. And I ran out, drove out to where the the, uh, house was being built and the surveyors had made a mistake and they had put the house 50 feet back further than it was supposed to be because there's no cell phones. I uh, hurried to the 7-Eleven and I called the contractor. I said, stop the trucks. They've surveyed the house wrong. And it it avoided a very serious problem, uh, all from a dream.
1: I've been looking forward to this interview for a number of reasons, Kevin, because dreams are a subject that intrigues me, a lot more so since the dream I had a few years ago that warned me of a terrible accident the day before it happened. It's a personal story, which is rare for my podcast, but since you might be able to shed some light on this through Casey's readings, this seems like as good a time as any to tell it. A few years ago, I signed up to go on a cattle drive out in Utah. I've always enjoyed riding, and as a kid, my heroes were Western heroes. So I rode horses whenever I could. But I'd never gone on a cattle drive. It was a five-day trip driving a herd from their wintering area north to summer pastures in Utah. And it was day one. Pick your mount, gather up the herd, and start them up the trail. It was a full day. I'd brought my sore back along for the trip, underestimating how bad it would become with a mountain-bred horse under me and opted to help the owner break down the camp on day two and move it by truck 15 miles north to the next campsite. That night we were camped in a cottonwood grove and I enjoyed coffee by the fire before turning in around nine. Sometime in the middle of the night I had an intense dream that woke me up in a sweat. What was unusual was that I remembered every detail in Technicolor. And I rarely remember dreams at all. In the dream, I was just about to start my car when my dad, who in real life had passed away seven years before, climbed into the passenger seat. The next thing I remember, I was driving my car along an interstate bordered with trees when dad switched seats with me and was now behind the wheel. He then lost consciousness and the car veered wildly off the interstate to the right and was headed for the trees at a high speed. I felt a huge surge of panic and tried to grab the wheel but his frame was preventing me from getting control of the wheel. I was powerless to prevent the car from hitting the trees and what looked like certain death. At that point I woke up sweating. I knew without a doubt that the dream was meant to tell me something but I didn't know what. I helped break down the camp that morning loading the camp gear onto the 30-foot trailer along with two spare horses and we headed north on the Utah Highway. It was a wide four-lane with no medial strip. We needed gas at one point and water, and the driver, who was easily in his 70s, put on his turn signal and stopped to make a left turn, allowing a few southbound cars and trucks to pass before pulling the trailer across the two lanes and into the gas station. The last car passed, and I could plainly see two motorcyclists approaching as well. So I was shocked when he stepped on the gas and proceeded to make his left turn immediately in front of the approaching motorcycles. I shouted stop, but in the two seconds it took him to pull out in front of them, there was no reversing the situation. I watched helplessly from my passenger seat as the bikers, having no option but to ditch, crashed into the truck with sickening thuds, one hitting the tires just to the rear of my door, the other hitting further back. The driver had just not seen them, although the weather was perfect and they were clearly visible to the ordinary eye. It turned out to be a husband and wife couple who had retired from teaching and were living out their dreams. He would not survive the night. She would require massive operations, but she did survive. Which brings me to the question, what did Casey tell us about dreams being premonitions? And how was it that my father was able to warn me from the grave that something was about to happen? He was no longer with us, yet he knew something terrible was about to occur, and he was trying to warn me.
0: Well, let's talk about, uh, first of all, that Casey said that very often we have psychic dreams because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. In terms of how your father knew about it, uh, we really have to talk about the Akashic Records for a moment. Casey said the Akashic Records were an etheric uh, database that surrounds the earth, and that somehow these records keep track of a soul's journey. They keep track of the soul's past. They also keep track of a soul's probable future. And in fact, Casey suggests that very often we dream about our future before they happen. What happens is that our subconscious, our superconscious mind thinks, okay, if John does this, this is the outcome. If John follows this line of thought, this is what's going to happen. And the reason it does that is the Akashic Records are responsible for bringing each soul what it needs, when it needs it, so that we can become the best that we can be. And in that process, these records are pulling together, calculating our future. These records happen at what we might call the mind of God. The Bible calls it God's Book of Remembrance. As unusual as it sounds, probably most of your listeners have heard about the phenomena called a near death experience where someone uh, almost dies and during that process they have a life review where they tune into everything that happened to them at this point and then they're somehow uh, su- they somehow survive and uh, come back to life uh, that life review is really the individual tuning into his or her own akashic record so I think what happened was that your father in the spirit plane was able to see the Uh, unfolding future that was presenting itself toward you and was able to give you uh, a warning in the dream state. Uh, In terms of how this happens or why this happens, it happens to each and every one of us. Uh, Again, the issue is that most of us are not predisposed to work with our dreams. So we have premonition dreams or psychic dreams. We also have dreams that are reoccurring dreams. One of the dreams I've often heard um, from audiences or something like that uh, an adult might have a dream where they're back in high school and the teacher is passing out a test uh, that day and they didn't know there was going to be a test that day and they have some level of anxiety. Or they go to their hallway locker and they don't remember the combination and there's some level of anxiety. Uh, what that means is not that we have unresolved issues from high school, but that what happens is something's going on in our life where we don't feel prepared for something. And so, what occurs is the soul looks for a period in our own soul history when we didn't feel prepared for something to bring to our awareness the fact that something is about to occur again. The same kind of thing is about to occur again. And it goes back to a high school experience because we can remember that. That phenomena is actually also why past life dreams occur that the soul sees, okay, we're about to have a similar relationship. We're about to have a similar challenge at at a job. We're about to have a similar challenge with our finances. And the soul mind looks for a period in the soul history when a similar pattern occurred and we dream about a past life. Not to make us feel uh, important about a past life, not to make us believe in reincarnation, but instead to bring to our awareness that some similar pattern is about to occur. Uh, Again, all this is tied in with the idea that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. The more information we have, Uh, with us, uh, at our disposal, the better able we are to make certain decisions.
1: Did previous
0: civilizations work with their dreams? We can uh, probably imagine that uh, individuals have have worked with their dreams for as long as there have been a human creature. Uh, But the earliest known record we have of it uh, dates back to the Egyptians. And the reason we know that the Egyptians worked with their dreams is there is a papyrus called the Chester Beatty papyrus, uh, named after its discoverer which is about uh, 3,000 years old. And it essentially uh, highlights various dream symbols that an Egyptian might have and what those dream symbols mean. Uh, now, I, I need to say that uh, there there are three, there's three kinds of symbols. There's archetypal symbols, symbols that mean the same thing to individuals across time and cultures, which we can talk about in a moment. There's cultural symbols, symbols that Mean something specific only to an individual culture or society. And then there's personal symbols, symbols that mean something to me but may not mean the same thing to another person. So an Egyptian dream dictionary would definitely have a lot of cultural symbols in it. Now one of those symbols, for example, one of the humorous ones, I think, is that if an ancient Egyptian dreamed that their bed was on fire, it suggested that their spouse had been unfaithful. That's one of the symbols in that dream dictionary. Another one, is if an ancient ajimbo dreamed of a snake, it suggested abundance. Now, there's always a logical... Uh, connection of why something me- might mean something. And it's not because I said so. It's because there's a logical train of thought. And my sense is, why did the Egyptians think of snakes related to prosperity? And my guess is because where do you find a snake? In a field or on property? And the only people who owned property or fields were people who were of the higher class, uh, royalty, uh, the pharaoh himself. So somehow snakes are associated with property, which is associated with wealth. In our culture, in Western culture, a snake is is generally symbolic of things like temptation because of the story in the bible it can be associated with healing because of the medical caduceus it can be associated with the kundalini of meditation rising along your spine uh, various things like that it can also be associated with a a male energy because it's in the shape of a phallic symbol so there are symbols that uh, really relate to a particular culture For example, in the United States, the Statue of Liberty could be a symbol of liberty or independence or freedom. Uh, In Japan, Mount Fuji is a symbol of a great accomplishment. In Egypt, a scarab or a beetle is a symbol of good luck. Uh, Believe it or not, in some places in South America, uh, dreaming of a funeral is symbolic of a wedding about to take place in your family. Uh, I think the logical connection there is once a marriage occurs, some part of your life is over, has come to an end, and it's really a new beginning. So there are cultural symbols like that. The story of archetypes was really uh, first proposed by Carl Jung. And the idea is that there are symbols that connect us across time and cultures. And the way Carl Jung came up with this idea, according to one version of the story, was that he was a uh, physician at an insane asylum at one point in his career. He was standing next to a window, and apparently one of the clients looked out the window and said something like, isn't it interesting how the wind is being created by the sun wagging its tail? And I'm sure Jung thought this guy was a little crazy, didn't think much more about it. But years passed, and Jung had taught himself to read things like hieroglyphics, and he was looking at some Egyptian hieroglyphics and came across the Egyptian legend of how the wind was created by the sun wagging its tail. And he realized there's got to be symbols that uh, connect us across time and cultures. So a perfect example is water. Water is a symbol of spirit or emotion. Not because I said so, but because ultimately water is the source of all life on this planet. But ultimately spirit is the source of all life. So water can be a symbol of spirit. Uh, But how do we experience life? Through our emotions. So water can also be a symbol for our emotions. Now, obviously, our personal symbols take precedence over our cultural symbols, which takes precedence over archetypes. So if I'm a two-year-old girl and I nearly drowned in my parents' backyard swimming pool and I dream about water, it probably is not going to represent spirit or emotion. Instead, it's going to represent danger or something's out of control or something horrible has happened. So again, our personal experience takes precedence. Other types of archetypes include like fairy tales or legends, anything that has an archetype of human experience in it. For example, the soul's journey. The soul's journey, regardless of our religious background, is something like uh, we were with God in the beginning. We went out on a journey. Uh, On that journey, we eventually realize, you know, where I really want to be is with God, and we end up going back to the same place where we began, but hopefully at a higher level of consciousness. That archetype of the soul's journey is told in such stories as... uh, The Parable of the Prodigal Son, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, even The Wizard of Oz, maybe even The Hobbit. Now, nobody ever reads The Wizard of Oz and says, boy, that's the best archetype of the soul's journey I've ever read. But because it encapsulates uh, a story of human experience or emotion, it becomes an archetype. Uh, Personal symbols are symbols that have a, a specific meaning to me that may not necessarily be shared by other people. Uh, for example, I had a, a grandmother who was the dearest uh, grandmother you could imagine. She was the kind of grandmother that uh, made bread, made pies, was unconditional loving. So if I had a dream about my grandmother, it has a very specific meaning to me. I was on a radio program once where a woman told me she had a dream where her grandmother had given her a birdcage that was uh, too small for the bird she had. Now, if I try to interpret that dream, dream based on how I feel about my grandmother, I may not get it right. So my first question was to her, how do you feel about your grandmother? And her response was, my grandmother was the most critical human being I ever met. And so my feeling from the dream was that her grandmother had constantly belittled and encaged her with smaller thoughts about herself, and she had eventually outgrown her grandmother's criticism of her. So again, three kinds of symbols. We have personal symbols. We have cultural symbols, and we have archetypal symbols. And the earliest known history of dream interpretation we have dates back dates back to the Egyptians. How can we improve our lives by being
1: aware of our dreams and monitoring our dreams?
0: What I often recommend people do is to just start keeping track of them. Uh, every morning when you get up, try to remember anything that comes to mind. What we don't want to do is try to remember the whole story. Just start writing down whatever quickly comes to mind. I remember thinking about work, or I remember dreaming about my brother, or I can see the color orange, and just start re-experiencing the dream on paper. And although at first it might seem hard to remember, with practice, it becomes a lot easier. When I first started out, I had a really hard time remembering my dreams, but after a while, some mornings I was writing for more than a half hour. So I think it just comes with practice. If we try to remember our dreams and nothing comes to mind, some of the uh, simple things I recommend are uh, change your routine. Uh, Set the alarm for a different time. Keep a piece of paper uh, in the bathroom with a pencil. So if you get up to go to the bathroom, you can jot down whatever you might remember. And if you try all those things and it still doesn't work, one of the things I recommend is writing out a question. Casey said that you can specifically write out a question, dream on that question, and get answers to questions. And I've done that many, many times. I've gotten some amazing results. And if it still doesn't work, another thing you can do is to write out a question and have a friend or a partner write out a question as well. And trade questions and very often we feel more involved more engaged in helping someone else with their dreams than we do when we try to help ourselves I will say that Casey suggested that regardless of what's going on in our life we can get insights from our dreams so one of his dreams that was meaningful to him was he was having a very hard time financially uh, sometimes when we talk about topics like holistic health or meditation or reincarnation, uh, our family might look at us kind of askew, like, boy, that's really unusual. Well, imagine what Edgar Casey went through 75, 80, 90, 100 years ago when he was talking about the same topics. And very often, he was having a hard time finding people who wanted readings. And as a result, result he often had financial challenges. This is a dream he had. He had a dream that he was in Paris. Uh, And at the time, we can imagine that Paris probably would have been a very expensive vacation. And he was uh, walking down the Champs-Élysées. And just to give background information, the Champs-Élysées would have been one of the most expensive shopping districts in the world. And he was walking next to the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Well, back in the 30s, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor would have been known as being a very wealthy uh, couple. He was the former King of England. And so all this dream is suggesting it's about Edgar Casey's finances. We have Paris, we have the Champs-Elysees, and we have the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And in addition to those three, they were walking with Jesus. And as they're walking along the Champs-Elysees, all at once, Edgar Casey sees a sidewalk cafe. And he says something like, you know, here we're in Paris, there's a great cafe. Maybe we should sit down and have a glass of champagne. So they sat down, had a glass of champagne, had a great conversation, apparently. And when they're finished, the Duke and Duchess get up and start walking away. And Mr. Casey's sitting there with Jesus. And all at once, Casey realizes that he's essentially invited everybody for champagne. Uh, and he feels inside his pocket, and he has no money. Well, he starts to get really nervous. And I guess he doesn't feel comfortable asking Jesus to borrow money. So he just sits there. And all at once, Jesus starts to laugh. And he asks the question, Casey. Am I going to have to send you out for a fish too? Now the reason that was meaningful to Mr. Casey was he had read the Bible once through for every year of his life and there's the story in the book of Matthew of how the apostles got into the town of Capernaum and when they got there, uh, they were told they had to pay a tax to get into the town. You had to pay a tax to enter the town and they had no money. So Jesus sent two of the apostles to catch a fish and the first fish they caught had a coin stuck in its mouth and it was the exact amount they needed to pay the tax. So the dream was essentially telling Casey to have faith and everything he needed would be provided. So I think that sometimes dreams can give us uh, another perspective of what's going on in our life, give us encouragement, help us see things uh, in another perspective. Because sometimes we get so bogged down in our issues, issues and challenges that we don't really know uh, what to do next. What did Edgar Casey tell us about premonitions and ESP? Well, any kind of premonitions or psychic ability is actually uh, a natural attribute of the soul. Casey would say that uh, our psychic ability is just one more ability we have uh, that is non-physical. Somehow the ability to tune in to thoughts and ideas. Uh, and I, I know, for example, that many of your listeners have probably had the experience where they're driving somewhere and all at once they think, wait a minute, I've already driven here. Or they're having a conversation and they think, wait a minute, I've already had this conversation. And we have an experience called deja vu. Well, most often, deja vu experiences are essentially a fragmentary dream recall. Remember, Casey suggested that nothing of significance ever happens to us without being foreshadowed in a dream. We actually dreamed about something before it occurred. And because we're not keeping track of our dreams, we don't remember that that's what happened. But as we're going through the experience, we think, wait a minute, Uh, something's going on here. And that's what deja vu experiences are. So we have all kinds of psychic ability like that because it's tuning into things we already knew that was going on. The mind is much more powerful than most of us ever realize. Uh, for example, now this is from science. This is not from Edgar Casey. This is from science. Science has proven that of the 100% of the data coming to you, uh, the f- conscious mind filters out more than 95%. Now that sounds high, but you don't feel the floor under your feet unless you start to think about it. You don't feel the bottom on your chair unless you start to think about it. You can't feel your shirt on your body or your glasses on your nose. You don't hear the sound of the heating and air conditioning system. You don't see the intensity of the light. You can't hear the breathing of your neighbor if you're sitting next to someone. So all this data is coming to your mind and your mind filters it out thinking this is irrelevant. But it's not lost. It's actually stored in the subconscious mind. And what happens when we sleep is all that subconscious information and and input, uh, the things we just briefly heard, the body language we witnessed, all that comes to the forefront in our dreams and gives us much more data to make decisions with. Uh, In fact, that phenomena that occurs with the subconscious mind is why under hypnosis, most of us will remember something that went on during an experience while hypnotized than we're aware of consciously. I'm aware that Casey did a lot of readings on Atlantis. Absolutely. Uh, over the years, when he gave people uh, information on possible past lives, he gave almost 1,000 references to Atlantis. And according to Edgar Casey, the Atlantean civilization uh, really began about 100,000 years ago. Atlantis is where the remnants of Bimini are now. Bimini would be the uppermost mountain ranges of Atlantis. And that for a long time, the people were very much interested in self-improvement, Uh, interested in uh, uh, discovering their relationship to the divine, uh, interested in helping one another. And then through a period of years, things started to change. And one segment of society became more interested in themselves, in bettering themselves, getting more uh, finances, let's say, having more power. And another segment of society still became interested in the old ways. And this is when Casey refers to the sons of Belial and the sons of the law of one, two, two various segments. We might think of those segments as their political parties. And eventually, because of that uh, breakdown in society, uh, there occurred a destruction. Casey said the first destruction of Atlantis uh, happened about 50,000 B.C., uh, when the Atlantean continent was broken up into islands due to earth changes, uh, changing weather patterns, whatever it might be. And that really caused the society to start over somewhat. Uh, There was a second destruction about 28,000 B.C., and the third destruction, about 10,000 B.C., when the remnants of the islands of Atlantis were sunk. And that's actually, according to Casey, that, the, that 10,000 B.C. Uh, destruction is the one that Plato refer- refers to. The idea here essentially was that the Atlanteans became more focused on their technological achievements. Uh, they th- thought themselves better than any other society in the world. They were very egocentric. And because of that, they eventually destroyed themselves. It wasn't that the divine somehow wiped them out. It was the two factions went to war. One of the fire crystals, which helped to fine-tune their energy, according to Mr. Casey, uh, exploded. Uh, and that caused all kinds of havoc and problems. Now, obviously, much of this story is is sounds like science fiction. But what we might learn from it is that whenever we become so self-centered that we forget about the needs of others or... That we instead focus on technology rather than our connection to the divine. I think the readings would suggest that somehow we're getting off track. Uh, the reason in the earth we're in the earth is not to make money, it's not to make fame for ourselves, but instead to somehow bring spirit into the earth. Casey would say our goal is to somehow bring divinity into the earth. And we will keep coming back here until we've done that. That's why we're here. Our goal is somehow to bring help, service, spirituality to help one another. And that's what we should be about. The name Amelia
1: Earhart has been in the news quite a bit lately. Did Casey do any readings on her disappearance in 1937?
0: Well, uh, as your listeners may know, Amelia Earhart disappeared just before her 40th birthday. Uh, The Coast Guard lost track of the plane on July 2nd, 1937. Uh, And interestingly enough, three days later, when the search was underway, a friend of uh, George Putnam, who was uh, Earhart's husband, uh, asked for a reading from Edgar Casey to see if he could locate them. Casey said that they had uh, survived the crash, that they, they were on an unmanned island, that there was no food and no water, that uh, Amelia's uh, co-pilot was not doing well, that Noonan had almost died during the crash, but Amelia was still alive. And he gave directions of where they were. He said they were located about 100 miles northwest from where they were supposed to be. And that they were still alive. Well, time passed, and uh, eventually, I believe it was on the 18th of July, that they called off the search. The Coast Guard couldn't find them. And a number of days after that, a couple weeks later, Edgar Casey gave another reading and said that George Noonan had died first, and that Amelia had lasted until the 21st, so she was actually alive three days after they called off the search. Uh, and then they were both on this island, and that's what had happened to them. So they had survived the crash. They were about 100 miles from where they were supposed to be. There was very little food or water on the island, and they had essentially died because of the elements. Did he give the coordinates, and have we ever searched that island? ARE has never searched that island. All I can tell you is that... Casey said they were about 100 miles northwest from where they were supposed to land for refueling, and that, of course, was Howland Island. Whether or not that's what actually happened, uh, hopefully time will tell, but that's what Casey said, about 100 miles northwest of Howland Island. In terms of history, was there anything that
1: Casey said then that people said was far-fetched that is now
0: widely accepted today? let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, During the 1930s, on three different occasions, when Edgar Casey was talking about ancient Egypt and a number of things that had been occurring in Egypt, he casually said on three different occasions that over time, the Nile had changed its course, and at one point in history had actually emptied to the west and emptied into uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Well, at the time, of course, that was science fiction. Well, interestingly enough, during the 1970s, when shuttle imaging was happening uh, around the planet, scientists discovered that the Nile had in fact changed its course. And at one point, uh, thousands of years ago, it had actually traveled westward and emptied into the Atlantic Ocean. There's one example. Another example, when he was talking about uh, the times of Jesus, he talked about a Jewish sect called the Essenes, who had a, uh, a community along the Dead Sea. Edgar Casey talked about how the Essenes were men and women in community. Uh, scientists, uh, religious scholars, knew very little about the Essenes. They thought they were a monastic sect uh, made up of men, mostly, who were kind of like monks that went off by themselves. There's, of course, no mention of the Essenes in the Bible. But uh, Edgar Casey gave uh, dozens of readings about this Esse- Essene community and the records they had kept. Well, Edgar Casey died in 1945, and about 10 years later, uh, actually, less than 10 years later, they unearthed a community at Qumran, and they found, uh, of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They also found that at the Dead Sea, there was a community of monks, and in the cemetery, they found bones of men and women. So Edgar Casey somehow had tuned into this community, and the records they had kept many years before uh, science had discovered it to be true. What kind of programs do you have going on here at ARE? Well, uh, we're known for our conferences. We've actually done conferences in Virginia Beach uh, since the 1930s. We have year-round conferences. Uh, Generally, we have two a month, so people come from all over to participate in one of our conferences. It can be on many topics, whether it's ancient mysteries, personal spirituality, intuition, hypnotherapy, uh, you name it, we have a conference on it. Our most popular conferences are usually our Ancient Mysteries Conference in October and our annual membership congress, which occurs in June. If people can't come to Virginia Beach, we have online programs for whatever you might think of. We have over 100 programs on YouTube on a variety of topics. We also have mentored groups that we do online. We also have a university, an accredited university, Atlantic University, that offers an accredited master's degree in transpersonal psychology and an accredited master's degree in leadership. And if people don't want uh, to get a master's degree but they're still interested in online learning, we have a variety of programs they can take as well just for their advanced learning enrichment. We have a program that teaches people how to be a massage therapist through the Casey Riley School of Massage. It's a two-semester program. People come to Virginia Beach, learn massage, massage therapy. We've actually graduated more than 2,000 graduates from 20 different countries in massage therapy. So we have lots of conferences, lectures, workshops, educational opportunities online at edgarcasey.org. You can find information about many of these programs as well as some of our online offerings. Kevin, tell us about your most recent book. Uh, My most recent book is called Contemporary Casey, and uh, I co-authored it with Henry Reed, a psychologist. And our desire was to write a book on 24 major topics in the Edgar Casey readings. Uh, ...that really described those topics... ...but had no casey readings in them. Uh, some people say that for them... ...the casey readings can be challenging to understand... ...challenging to learn. So we wrote this overview of 24 topics... ...everything from Akashic Records... ...to reincarnation... ...to understand our relationship with God... ...to psychic ability... ...to reincarnation, you name it. And uh, basically it's just an overview... ...of the aggregate material... ...in easier to understand language. And in addition to that... Uh, Henry Reed did a really good job at paralleling those topics with modern scientific discoveries and how, over and over again, Casey continues to be on the leading edge, of discovering discoveries about ourselves. Give us just a few examples without giving away the book. There's so many possibilities with this one. Let me just give two two that are pretty straightforward. One, in terms of diet and health. Uh, Edgar Casey was giving readings on diet and health, talking about Uh, the importance of attitudes and emotions uh, in our lives. He was talking about the importance of not eating too much red meat, of somehow eating more vegetables, of somehow having plenty of exercise, uh, that thoughts and things that we think really have a great deal to do with what happens to our physical body. When Edgar Casey was giving those readings to uh, very much a meat and potato society that did not think there was any connection with our relationships uh, that we shouldn't eat when we're anger, all kind, angry, all kinds of things. All of that basically has become scientific fact. So obviously, the information Casey gave on diet and health, and how the things we put into our body and the thoughts we think and the things we do, all combine together to make us who we are, physically, mentally, and spiritually. That is definitely one one aspect to it. Uh, another piece of that would be that uh, there's more to us than a, a physical. Body. There seems to be more and more scientific research suggesting that the mind has capabilities apart from physicality. And whether that is that uh, there have been scientific studies that seem to suggest that the mind uh, can do such things as remote viewing, that somehow we can tune into something at a distance and tune into things going on there. Maybe many of your listeners don't know that during the 1960s, the CIA had a program called Stargate, where they employed psychics to tune in remotely and see what was going on in other parts of the world and had some very interesting experiences. So that happens in a variety of ways, whether it's our psychic ability or us somehow uh, tuning into someone when they're in need, a child, let's say, or somehow our mind being able, through such things as biofeedback, to control our, our body temperature, our blood pressure, our heartbeat, uh, or the power of meditation, that there's much more to us than a physical body. I understand that Edgar
1: Casey started study groups that explored a book called Search for God. Can you talk about that
0: program a little bit? Sure. Casey suggested that one of our goals as an organization was to bring together people from all walks of life uh, in really ecumenical spiritual discussion groups. His his desire was to bring together the religions of the world and talk about things like prayer and meditation and cooperation and love. And so we have. Uh, study groups all over the world that meet in individual homes mostly. We also have online study groups. And starting in 2018, we're going to have online study group resources for our members that really explore what Casey said our lessons in personal spirituality, learning how we can be of more cooperation, learning how we can come to know ourselves, learning how we can work with spiritual ideals and love and things like that. So these are ecumenical groups that discuss Uh, The process of personal growth and transformation, they usually have uh, exercises during the week. Like, for example, I remember one of my first study groups, uh, the exercise was instead of ignoring people when you walk by them, just make eye contact and think something like, uh, I salute the light of God in you. And uh, I was amazed at how often when I did that, even though it was quiet, uh, someone would smile or they'd say hi back or somehow you had an exchange with people that normally didn't happen. Just little things like that. Uh, Another uh, experience I remember was that we had decided as a study group that for a whole week we would try as much as we could for a whole day to go a whole day without thinking or saying anything negative about anyone or anything. Uh, And I can't tell you how hard that is. I mean, uh, we get very frustrated in traffic sometimes. Uh, Someone's too slow in the grocery store. Uh, Someone says something that bothers us and we start to have negative thoughts. Uh, So that was definitely an experience where you had to start over, over and over and over again to really try to go a whole day without having a negative thought about anyone or anything. Uh, And if anyone's interested in becoming a part of a study group, whether it's online or at a study group near them, they can just go to EdgarCasey.org and find out more information. Are there sleeping prophets out there today? Well, I don't know about sleeping ones, but we often work with intuitives and psychics on our programs. Uh, One of the things we do here is help people learn how to work with their own intuition. So we often have psychic programs where people can come and learn from a professional psychic and then practice on each other. And so what we do have here is we have a list of intuitive psychics who have been on our program who are helpful, hopeful, and positive. Uh, through the 35 years I've been on staff here, I've met lots of psychics, uh, lots of people who try to help one another with psychic ability. So I think definitely people can get a psychic reading and they can definitely learn how to work with their psychic ability. Tell us a little bit
1: about the Association for Research and Enlightenment, what they do, and how they help people
0: all over the world. A.R.E. is the organization that Edgar Cayce started in 1931, and today we're actually a membership organization where people can become a member of A.R.E. and receive our magazine. They can receive our online resources. Uh, In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but all of the Edgar Cayce readings have been computerized, so in your own home you can actually have access to all 14,306 readings when you're a member of A.R.E. Uh, The two things that I think A.R.E. really uh, excels at are education, all kinds of aspects of education, whether it's body, mind, or spirit, and creating community. We have all kinds of community activities, whether it's our conference programs, our annual membership program. We have an ARE camp in the western part of the state that offers programs for youth, for families, for young adults, and for uh, adults. We have the Casey Riley School of Massage. Lots of people become a part of that community. We have the study group program. The people become part of that community. We have our higher education, Atlantic University community. So we excel at creating all kinds of community, uh, professional researchers, people interested in intuition, whatever it might be, and education. Uh, In addition to that, we have a number of service programs. I think our most popular service program is our prison program. Uh, Every A year we send out between twelve and fourteen thousand books to inmates for free, spread entirely by word of mouth. Inmates write in and they say, you know, I want to learn more about meditation. I want to learn more about helping to transform my life. I want to learn more about helping other people. And the thing that is so amazing about this program is the testimonials we receive back where people might say something like, you know, I went into prison blaming other people. I was angry at someone else. And now I realize that I had a very strong hand in creating my own life. I want to do the best I can to help other people. I've turned my whole life around. So the prison program is definitely uh, help to people in changing lives. Uh, we have members all over the world. In fact, we have Edgar Casey Centers in 35 countries. And the great thing about ARE membership is no one's ever turned away. So even though it's only $59 a year to be a member, if someone wants to be a member but can't afford the $59, we will give them a membership. So every year we give away between 600 to 1,000 memberships to people who are interested but just can't afford the fee. Uh, ARE membership is as close as your mailbox, your computer, uh, and we do ARE activities throughout the country, conferences, conferences. Uh, get-togethers, inquirers meetings, study groups. So it really is a very active, thriver, thriving organization that is now celebrating its 86th year. Kevin, I'd like to thank you
1: and all your staff here at the Edgar Casey Association for Research and Enlightenment for the warm welcome you've given to 1001 Heroes and the terrific insights you've shared with regard to Casey's readings. John, thanks so much for having me on the program. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. It seems like we've covered everything in the past few months. Tornadoes, sharks, ancient mysteries, dreams, the battles of Midway and Guadalcanal, Bigfoot, the Lost Colony, Bonnie and Clyde, astronauts and aliens. But we're just getting started, so fasten your seatbelts. I look at our numbers every night, and every time I look, our listener count is going up, up, and up, all thanks to you and you're sharing our show with others, let in the know about our shows. The reviews you send for both 1001 Heroes and 1001 Classic Short Stories are heartwarming and very much appreciated. Here's a few. Best one, says T1980, on July 11th, just a couple weeks ago. I love it. Fun and educational. This one by OK. Great stories. Interesting and educational. Keep them coming. Thanks. This one from Patrick, entertaining and educational. Whether driving in the car or doing chores around the house, 1001 is my go-to podcast for some time. riveting, always informative, entertainment. Thank you, Patrick. This one from Death from Above, riveting. What a fantastic podcast. Absolutely riveting. I am officially addicted. And this one from Chris, great history. Absolutely the best historical storytelling. This is my go-to podcast, fun, interesting, and educational. John Hagedorn really gets it right. Even the ads are fun to listen to. The reviews come from Apple Podcasts, anyone with an iPhone or iPad who has an Apple Podcast app. They're free at the App Store. It just takes a few minutes to write one, and they are greatly appreciated. 1001 Heroes is listened to in more than 150 countries by folks who enjoy good storytelling and who like to learn. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.